0: fans, thanks for listening to After the Buzzer. I am Ian Busby. This is the first podcast of what I hope should be a fun, entertaining breakdown of Canadian sports in a podcast form. If you have downloaded, it's probably because you are one of my family members or one of my closest friends. Uh, But for everyone else, I should give you a bit of background here. I was a sports writer for many years at the Calgary Sun, mainly covering the CFL and the Calgary Stampeders. This actually isn't my first podcast. The first edition was in 2008 when I would do a weekly show with fellow Sun Media writers Kirk Pitten and Jonathan Huntington a long, long time ago. We had no idea what we were doing back then. Nobody knew what a podcast really was at that point. Uh, now everybody seems to have their own podcast. I've been listening to them for many, many years, and I've always liked this form. Uh, I stopped covering the CFL full time in 2013 when I left the Sun to be a producer at Breakfast Television in Calgary. But I still cover the league part time, there as well as uh, briefly at the Calgary Herald for a few years. Uh, after I left the Sun, the Grey Cup became my absolute favorite week of the year, as I found out covering for the Stamps or covering the Stamps in the 2014 Grey Cup. Uh, Doing that for TV was a lot more fun than being at the Grey Cup as a beat reporter at the newspaper, that's for sure. And then in 2015 in Winnipeg, I was covering the game for dinner television in Edmonton and the uh, Calgary Herald as well. And I was awarded the Terry Jones Trophy for best combination of working and reporting. It's quite a high honor in CFL media, and I consider it to be uh, one of those highlights of my life. Uh, I'm now the uh, I consider myself now to be the keeper of the cup. And I return to Great Cup every year to help award the trophy to whoever is carrying on the mantle that large passed on to us. Uh, two years ago, I was laid off from breakfast television and that show went under a restructuring and then uh, it was canceled. But uh, it's I'm now in school doing something completely unrelated. Um, and I'm quite excited about what I'm doing, but I can't lie to you. I miss the CFL quite a bit. It uh, it was gone nearly as long as I've been out of the media business, and I'm expecting that you have missed it, too. So I'm back talking about the CFL, uh, and I'm super excited about it. I don't believe there's enough of these type of shows. I'm hoping uh, we bring a little bit something different t- to it. I'm going to be joined regularly by the guy who's now doing my old job. That's Danny Austin. He's been doing great work for The Sun and The Herald over the last few years, and I hope uh, our conversations sound much like the chatter you would hear if you were eavesdropping on us, having a beer and discussing the league as we often do. So please give me some feedback. If you want to reach out to me, drop me an email at iBuzzby at mail.com. I'm also on Twitter at BuzzerB, that's B-U-Z-R-B-E. I'm not on there very much anymore. I'm a little bit too tired to be getting into Twitter battles like Danny does, but uh, I definitely will uh, be posting about it uh, and chatting about the league there. So uh, here you go. Thanks for listening. Here's Danny and I talking about a bunch of stuff as the league finally gets into action, back into action this week. Uh, I hope you all enjoy it. It's been 20 months since our last CFL game, uh, which was also in Calgary, which was a cold, bitterly cold November night. And I don't think anybody remembers that fondly because that game uh, wasn't that entertaining. It wasn't really that close. It wasn't a good indication of what CFL football is like and what we've grown to love after a long time. And then we had a pandemic, uh, we had uh, a flirtation with the XFL, we had uh, a coaches hired and then subsequently leave. We had players switch teams and then switch back to the same teams. Uh, lots of stuff has happened in the CFL and it's a good time for me to come back into it feeling like I've been out for a few years here. So uh, we're going to do this and we're going to break things down in a little different way. So one thing that I wanted to ask you first, Danny, you've had you this is what your fifth training camp?
1: No, this would be fourth because I started Labor Day 2016. Oh, okay. Um, so Scott, yeah, Scott Mitchell got the Jays game, the Jays gig in Toronto, and I kind of with Scott Fisher did the back half. So I, I've done 2017, 2018, 2019, and now this one for training. Yeah.
0: Camp. And you've never known a time where the stamps weren't in the Grey Cup. So it's a little bit different from when I covered the team back uh, in the mid 2000s over to the uh, Mid 2010s here. Uh, I want to ask you what is the training camp been like uh, Being different because you don't there's been no preseason games. Uh, I'm happy about that I, I think we don't need preseason games ever again. I don't know about you I know they're they're good practices and they're good warm-ups, but uh, people get too excited about preseason uh, but the I when I cover the team The uh, training camp was the best time to actually get to know guys and get in and actually talk more extensively with uh, players and coaches. So how has it been different this year and what's your experience like
1: that's been entirely different. Um, I wouldn't say like I've gotten to know a single new player like it just hasn't been possible. Um, Pretty much all of the interviews are on Zoom. Um, which means that like, look, realistically in Calgary, there are three of us there every day. There's me, there's Maddie Rose from Sportsnet Radio, and then Mark Steven, of course. And then like your average Zoom, there's another couple of people, largely like TSN, who aren't really participating, but are recording it and putting it on their website. Um, so I mean, it's honestly, this has not been a great, like from a reporter standpoint, this has not been a great training camp. Like we don't get really, the Stampeders have done what they can, but we don't really get a ton of one-on-ones so um and even then they're over the phone and like you know how it is it's you always want to talk to guys like let's be honest it's a strategy being the first to write or talk about a young guy when he's coming up here to the cfl like that can really start the relationship you know like that's what you're paying attention for is what you're trying to do and yeah there hasn't been any of that um I, I hear you. Preseason games are pointless. It's normally like a trip to Vancouver for me, so I never like.
0: <laughs> okay, it, not it, it's always seemed that it would be a trip to Regina, and I would fly in the day of, and then out the next morning. So it was never that fun of a preseason game. Uh, preseason to me, and I always used to get annoyed when people would tell me this. Was like, uh, well, that guy looked great in the preseason. Where is he? It was like, well, they cut him because he was just a training camp guy and i think fans get a little too excited as to what's happened in preseason but this year i feel like uh not having seen any uh you know preseason action i'm looking at the depth charts or whatever you know i'm listening to all the chatter i don't think anybody knows what this season's going to be right as come thursday night when winnipeg plays hamilton uh that there's going to be a lot of stuff that is just like let's let's hit the ground running right it's not going to be anything like nobody knows what's going to happen this season and that's why i'm going to ask you a lot of different things about what's going to happen this season you're going to have like more insight because you're following all this but nobody really knows right
1: no we don't have a clue my theory is the team that is going to succeed in the look 14 games in when the playoffs hit that's a different story but like I think the team that's going to succeed most is the team that can coach up its rookies to be ready when injuries happen. Because the reality is, like, you look at the Stampeders, you look at any team, really. Like, there is not veteran depth on any team right now. There is, they basically, everyone has one starter who's played before because so many guys retired or there are salary cap implications. Like, there just isn't that much veteran depth. So if you're the Stampeders, you were praying that you get three or four weeks before any of your starters get hurt. And then maybe some of your American rookies will have made the adjustment and are actually ready to play Canadian football. So, but like, yeah, no, nobody has a clue. You, you go through any, like any of these predictions, the safest thing to do is pick Hamilton. We're all going right. to pick him like, because Hamilton's good. And we know Hamilton's good. And they have two quarterbacks, but right. like,
0: and they, and they have the Grey cup this year. So that's a, that's a nice, sexy pick for that. Right.
1: Exactly. But like go up and down, like Calgary, Pretty much veteran starters in every position except for three positions. But, like, one hit to bow, and they literally, like, don't have a backup quarterback. You know, like, they don't have backup DBs who have ever played with the waggle. Like, their their starters are good. Their starters can contend for the great cup. Winnipeg, great. Zach Caleros looked amazing for five, six games. But, like, we all know his injury history. They're one hit away from not having an experienced quarterback. Andrew Harris is 59 years old, like in terms of running back years. Right? Right. (laughs) Cody Fajardo. And
0: he's he's currently injured to start the year, right? So it's. And
1: he's currently injured. Surprise, surprise. He's a running back in his mid-30s. Then you go to like Saskatchewan. And I know that everyone in Saskatchewan loves Cody Fajardo. Well, go look. He didn't beat Calgary. He beat Winnipeg once. I, I don't know that he beat Hamilton. I mean, like, he may have been Hamilton. I honestly haven't checked. I should have checked no, that. But, like, that's I'm, fine. he's got a lot to prove to me in year two. He, like, pretty much beat up on the Torontos and B.C.s of the world. And, and you know, they, they had a really good defense. So, I don't know, man. I look at it. Edmonton, everyone talks about Edmonton. I'm like, well, what did Edmund- Like, when was the last time Edmonton was really good? 2015? Like- uh, yes.
0: <laughs> when they won the Great Cup, yes. So uh bodog.ca has their uh some of their player prop odds uh cody fajardo is listed as the favorite to win mop uh yeah that's based based on the fact that rider fans are gonna bet him is that what's happening because he's the he's the favorite because people are gonna bet him and that what is about him that is so they make think they, they think they know they've got their next guy. What what is it about that? He that can throw guy the ball. That There's sense? no
1: question about that. I mean, he led them to first in the West, right? Like he can throw the ball. I don't know that he won the big games or the games that convinced me, but he's like he's very capable of leading the league in in passing yards. And I mean, I'm gonna get back on my old soapbox. I believe that Saskatchewan voters for MOP vote strategically and make sure that their Saskatchewan guys get. Get the rub for the postseason awards. So, right. um, no, Cody uh, looks to be a really, really good quarterback. But again, I cover, so like this is even, and I know we're probably going to talk about the TSN top 50 at some point. But when I was doing mine, I have to, as a Stampeders beat reporter, vote based on what I saw with my eyes when the Stampeders played and like, Man, I'll tell you this. i take Vernon Adams over for Cody Fajardo. There's no question there. <laughs> Vernon Adams is a guy who loves a fist fight. He'll get in there and he'll, he'll do the dirty work. I didn't see Cody Fajardo against the Stamps, which is a real test for any quarterback. I didn't see much from him. So right. I honestly like, <clears throat> It's what I love about Riders fans, but like, they're gonna get carried away.
0: <laughs> so yes, he's uh, Fajardo is two to one favorite for most passing yards. Uh, now, the guy who leads in passing yards is generally, uh, let's be honest, it's usually Mike Riley because he's just chucking the ball over the, the yard trying to catch up in games. Uh, yeah. He's and uh, Mike Riley showing up at number six on the TSN top 50, that was the big standout for me. I don't feel like he's going to be able to rebound uh, to the point he hasn't been in the playoffs since 2017, if I recall correctly. So he's had a few rough years and then taking this time off uh, coming back as we all are, everyone's taking their time off, but uh, uh, older players, it's going to seem to affect the most. Right.
1: And like in general, like, and this is not, this is not a rule. This is not science, but like, let's be honest in general, the quarterback for the best team in the league is generally going to be your front or for the team with the best record and the writers, I mean, it's possible, but like, so if you're if you're trying to handicap moP I mean fine you can do it um and Cody Pajardo probably should be in there they, the riders have a decent team um, but like I also could see the riders finishing fourth or fifth like <laughs> maybe not fifth, right I still think BC is a year away from being like real contenders um but you want to tell me any of those Edmonton Calgary Winnipeg uh, and Edmonton any of those teams could be first or they could be fourth
0: right. And that's the thing. The West is going to be competitive. We know that. Um, BC will probably be the odd man, or odd team out. Uh, I would. I. How many years in a row has there been a crossover? Because it felt like it's been every year since two thousand one. Uh, now I know that's not the yeah. case, but. Uh, well, you know, when was
1: the last time, like realistically, one of Toronto or Montreal has been bad every single year, right? Like they just. Yeah. Um,
0: well, Montreal made made the playoffs in two thousand nineteen. They missed it previous five years, right? So and they they haven't had a guy since anthony calvio left and now vernon adams looks like that guy right so it's uh i was looking at uh the the fact that montreal has been hugely discounted and it was because they did switch that uh coaching they had that coaching change in 2019 they were a bit of a surprise uh in the uh, playoffs and it's so it's going to be them and hamilton i think duking it out for
1: um, I have anyways, Toronto in there too. I, I don't understand how people are discounting Toronto yet.
0: Well, because here's my case, because I've seen so many times that all these parts are thrown together and they just don't work. And uh, I see the 2019 BC lions. They did the exact same thing. They brought Michael Riley over. They brought a bunch of players in and uh, with a new coaching staff and everything looked like, and the coaching staff, with a lot of Calgary parts, you know, this is like, Mm -hmm. and it didn't, didn't quite work out. Uh, And it's because it just felt like that wasn't a team. It was just a bunch of parts. And I see see Toronto, I see Toronto to being the same situation. They have a lot of parts. I don't know if they all fit together and we know that there's a lot of ex Calgary guys there. A lot of ex Calgary guys are let go for certain reasons, right? They're not let go because Somebody outbids them massively. That's probably the main reason that they, but they they go well. We can find somebody else for something that fits our budget. And Charleston Hughes has been gone for how many years? And how many Grey Cups has he won? He would have been part of what three more kicks at the can with the Stampeders. But he he wanted to keep making more money, and now I he's don't, in Toronto. I don't so.
1: know that's true. I don't know how down Charleston was with the trade. Like, I honestly, like, I don't fully know. Look, what Don Huffnagle does is you hit a certain age, and (laughs) if he can find someone cheaper, he's going to go get someone cheaper. And he, like, generally bets pretty well. And now you can say, well, Charleston, you know, led the leagues in sacks the last two years, and that's true. I don't know that he was as effective in the back half of the season, which is sort of what you get when you have guys in their mid-30s who come at the gates firing. But, I mean, they won the Grey Cup the year after he left. So I, I think you're going to have a hard time convincing most people that uh, that was the wrong call by by, by the Stamps. Um, obviously, yeah. that's like that's not quantifiable. We can't prove that at all. But um, I do – look, Cordero, La, who I think is an absolutely underrated around the league, they let him go, or they traded him, because, like, ultimately, he had an injury history. They needed to get younger. Um, I, I genuinely think that Juwan Breskison could have continued and, and been a very effective player. They had Harajimeala and Richie Sandani, so they were like, all right, we're not – Breskosin should go get more money elsewhere. Right. You know, you go up and down. Like, there's not a single player, I think, on that Argos roster who Stamps really, really badly wanted to have that.
0: Yeah, they, and they traded Eric Rogers as well, who was uh, they very much the big deal was made of when he was coming back from the NFL a couple of years ago. Uh, and they they felt like they could uh, afford to lose him as well. And hey, uh, wish, they, they, the funny thing about the Stamps is we'll, we'll just wish you well and let you go off and we're going to continue to win games. Nobody wins more games. Uh, in this league than the Calgary Stampeders over a year by year basis, if you go by it. And I like that I was looking at the TSN top 50 list and all the ex um, uh, Stampeders players are making the roster on there, starting with Stanley Bryant. I don't know if you remember him. Uh, he went for a big money signing in uh, Winnipeg. Uh, the stamps brought in somebody else and, you know, it just can the cycle continued. So, anyway, but one thing that Calgary. I wanted to because the one thing that you mentioned it, the stamps are going to go by how Bo Levi Mitchell looks. And so far, I would say uh, having this time off, he wasn't really healthy at all in 2019. Uh, the same could be said, he was kind of battling stuff over the past few years. Do you feel like, now you've been able to watch him, do you feel like his arm strength is back and he's going to be able to to, to hit those, uh deep balls like he used to um without having to put a huge strain on the entire offense by what he's going to be doing out there
1: yeah i mean i let's be clear i've really watched him for two practices because he barely participated in training camp okay um, but <laughs> it was it was more groin tightness So, like for the first two weeks of training camp pretty much my understanding is um they just will not work back up Well so barely participation training camp in a normal year um He's just you know in a preseason t- game, preseason game two. He normally takes like like maybe eight snaps just to like yeah. get him in. But like it's not, it's not really like they don't need Bo to prove that he knows the playbook, right? Um, yeah. And then the last week of training camp, I think that there was a little bit of a he's back, he's good to go now, um, and he is 100 percent. Just bad luck. He looks good. Um, my, my thing with Bo is always – like I think that what actually makes Bo Levi-Mitchell the best quarterback in the CFL is not necessarily that he's going to be hucking the ball 60 yards downfield. It's always when it's like that second and 12, you just know Bo is going to get you the 12 yards. I think he's better than that – better at that than anyone. If you need 14, he's going to get a 14. If you need eight, he's going to get eight. And that is – that is the type of thing that's really hard to watch him to get a good read on in training camp when I mean, there's not real pressure on him. But, yeah, he looks like he's moving around the pocket well. He's hitting his receivers. Um, I was under the impression going into camp that potentially Kamar Jordan had a smaller role to play. I'm now just, like, watching this team practice. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. KJ is going to be that, like, reliable receiver who Bo just knows he can go to on second
0: downs. Um
1: so, yeah I think that they looked they look pretty the, good. the
0: the old Mark way McDaniel role, right?
1: And then Eric Rogers after Markway, right?
0: yeah so, so well, the one thing that I've looked at Bo and I've known him since he came into the league, right and he he w- kind of wants to be an all-time player, one of these guys that uh, is considered one of the all-time greats. and I looked at something that uh surprised me, and I want you to what are? these two names have in common, Anthony Calvillo and Warren moon. And before you get a chance to answer, I'll answer, uh, in the last 40 years, dating back to the early eighties, those are the only two players to win three gray cups with the same franchise. Are
1: you Bo has,
0: Bo has one championship to get onto that list, right there. The other, uh, Players on that list in the CFL history are Tom Wilkinson, Russ Jackson, Kenny Plain, and Bernie Filoni. So when you're looking at all-time, all-time, you know, putting your status out there, uh, Bo Levi Mitchell, he needs just one more Grey Cup, and he'll join a very exclusive club in my mind. He might not have the numbers to match Anthony Calvillo, but he... Looking at what he's done, championships are what you're gonna measure these quarterbacks by. Yeah. Uh and I think his motivation right now, the way 2019 ended, uh Craig Cup was in Calgary that year. He couldn't perform in that playoff game. Uh he went had went and got healthy. The year off really helped him more than anyone else, right? Because he wasn't gonna start the next year. He wasn't gonna start 2020, was he?
1: Once he got the surgery, no. Um I don't know that the Stampeders were super thrilled that he got the surgery. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, no. he. I don't think he was going to be ready for training camp um, yeah. at all. And, like, let's be honest. like That was the first playoff game that he's ever really performed badly in, right? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I, I've told the story before. But at one point, like, I, I think Nick Arbuckle told me that he went into a short yardage and, like, the ball he got the ball in his hand and he had to look down to make sure it was there because his hands were so cold like right. the Peters were literally like full credit to the bombers but like we don't know how they played as well as they did
0: because it was so cold <laughs> <laughs> it was the coldest game I've ever been at I can tell you that yeah. uh, my cell phone fro- froze to my chest inside my uh, uh, jacket uh, yeah. I thought that it was the only way to keep it alive was um, to put it into some heat uh, I I bailed at halftime and went up to uh, the, one of the suites of um, one of the longtime Stampeders uh, supporters because I couldn't uh, I couldn't handle it anymore and unfortunately watched the game with a lot of uh, players' families. So it was very disappointing in to, to that season. And I I just feel like with everything that Bo's already accomplished, I think he's motivated now to get into that all-time greats conversation he wants to be an all-time great and that's now he's already built a legacy over 10 years with two great cup wins he's only two and two in great cups but uh that's better than Calvio was because by the time Calvio got his second great cup uh he was later on in his career and he'd been one in five in his first six so this is uh um I think I think it's just prime for Calgary to bounce back this year. And that's, I think that's what you're looking at is if Bo can stay healthy because it, that was the downfall in, in 2019. Uh, I think the stamps are the, the odds on favor to be tops in the West again.
1: Well, I mean, it, it's so fascinating looking back at 20, I'm not trying to make excuses for 2019. Like the, the best team wins the great cup in the end. That's the great cup champions, the great cup champion. But like, man, like, there's just a couple like if the stamps had won one more game then they wouldn't have had to play in minus 40 degree weather and, and i don't know what happened but like i went to the west final in regina I had a great time like got a noise complaint in my hotel room like just like had i was it was so much fun just not being like the beat reporter covering the team but like it wasn't as cold either it was like seven degrees It wasn't or i mean it was around zero it was a, Nice day, and like I don't know what happens if that Stampeders team with a bye week, Eric Rogers didn't play, comes in and like plays, and like you go back to there was a game against Montreal, epic man, where the Stampeders had three touchdowns that were overturned. One of them, if they like, if they just are awarded the touchdown, and I think one of them definitely was a touchdown, they win that, and then they are first in the West. So like the the margins in this are all so tight. But look, it was ultimately a disappointing year for Bo. Um, I what I, I'm trying to tell people without just coming across as a Stampeders fan because I never want that. But like, as you said, none of these decisions to go with younger guys were unintentional. So people saying like, oh, well, we don't know any of the receivers. It's like, yeah, but John Huffnagel does. Right. John okay. Huffnagel thought he could trade Dur- or get rid of Juwan Braskison because he thought Richardson Danny was ready to play. And like, I just trust John Huffnagel more than I do some media guy in Winnipeg or Saskatchewan who hasn't watched them. So, like, I think the Stamps, the O-line is a concern for me. I just, I, I, that's just not a good journey. They just have to, they have to show it. I think there's a right. lot of talent there. I think there's a lot of guys. But, like, you lose Shane Bergman. You lose, like, you lose Derek Dennis. Those are big losses. They're, they're down three starters from two years ago. Like, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. But they have all of these young guys who the Stampeders believe are ready to take that next step. And I just like it's so hard to ever question this team given what they've accomplished in the last 10 years. I mean,
0: well, you you didn't know about uh Eric Rogers or uh DeVaris Daniels before they got here either, so uh, or Reggie
1: Bagleton, like Reggie Bagleton, like Reggie Bagleton had done effectively nothing in the CFL. We all knew he was good, but like prior to 2019, then he was, I think, the best receiver in the league other than possibly speedy. Um, so I like i I don't really buy this whole idea that the stampedes are due for a regression. I just think that, like they have to knock on wood and hope that certain things go right this year. Right. with all that said, because we were talking Bo, well, which I, is
0: kind of everybody needs to knock on wood and hope things go right, right? Well so. welcome to football. but yeah.
1: um, we were talking with Bo, and you just sort of put his career a little bit in perspective, and I still think he's got five more years. Like, I mean, I don't know if he's going to be doing Tom Brady stuff, but like, he's still, like, you'd say he's still in his prime right now. I mean, there's no reason to expect him as long as the shoulder holds up. Like, he should be good. Is he at this point in his career, in terms of like, is he by the general public, is he underrated, overrated, or properly rated?
0: I think properly rated now. If you, if you look at where he showed up on that uh, top 50 list, he's listed at number two. Uh, I think everyone realizes that. Uh, the Stamps have been chugging along for all these years because they've had him. And uh, I, I think it's, it, it comes down to this, uh, what is it? it? It's like a, a, a professional jealousy, right? You, you would love to be, if you were the, up until 2019, you'd love to be the, if you were a Winnipeg Blue Bombers fan, you'd love to be a fan of the Calgary Stampeders because your team was in the Grey Cup every year. <laughs> So now that's changed. The Winnipeg gets the great Cup and wins it. So you know, then they can say, "Well, you know, that well, we're we're on the right path." I just don't feel as confident in in Cody Fajardo or Zach coloros or Trevor Harris or Michael Riley to you know to feel like they are going to be um, as devastating and and as important to their team as uh, Bo Levi Mitchell is right now. So, uh, that's the the, that's enough of that chatter uh i wanted to move over to you you were right on on this right from the start the whole xfl thing Uh and i think it's it's probably going to be a distant memory and we're probably never going to have to deal with it ever again but we haven't been able to talk in an official capacity but what what exactly in your mind was happening in this when I've heard everything from it was a marketing ploy to just exploring options to, uh, they just wanted to have a good uh, conversation with the rock. Um, so what, uh, what, did, give me your breakdown of what happened with that XFL, because I don't think anybody's ever, you know, completely, uh, been honest about it.
1: Um, so, I mean, with the caveat before I start that, I mean, like, I, I, I don't think that I know the full official version of the story, so I am. there's some dot connecting here. I honestly think that there are two problem markets right now in the CFL. Um, I believe that's Toronto, and I believe that's Vancouver. Uh, I think you have new owners in Montreal who sort of immediately lost money, which is not great, so I'm sure that they were willing to explore the XFL thing, but I, I, I do think that uh, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, which is, let's be very, very I, I hate when people just say it, it's basically a conglomerate that's owned by Bell and Rogers, but Bell is, in terms of the Argos and the CFL side, Bell right. and they're the broadcast partner. They clearly are the ones running the ship in terms of, and, and no pun intended, uh, in terms of the Argos. And I think that they've been losing a lot of money and they have a, they do have a fiduciary responsibility to go to their board and show that they're making money and to their stakeholders. And I think it became a problem. And I, I do think that they looked at Redbird Capital, which is a becoming increasingly a, a big player in the international sports market. And Redbird Capital was looking to invest in the XFL. And I think that it was pushed by Bell, um, ultimately. And I think that it had the support of Montreal, who are new owners and, and by all accounts have, you know, friendships and connections with MLSC. And then, to be honest, I think that you, you can probably look and assume that BC, um, right now the ownership situation is a little unclear. And they probably wouldn't mind um Figuring out some new revenue streams. I will be honest. I have heard that Calgary Sports and Entertainment was not opposed to it either. I think that the other, the rest of the teams were significantly more um, hesitant. But I think that when you have all of those, um, all of those entities looking to explore um, new revenue streams, I, I, I think it is probably pretty hard to resist, especially when one of them shares. Ownership with the podcast partner, which is the largest financial stakeholder. So I think that's what, what was happening. But I also think that those of us who were pretty vocal in our opposition to it were always saying, like, look, man, like, if there's an existential crisis with the CFL, like, okay, go do anything you can to keep football. But I was like, if this is just an opportunity to increase your profits and you're going to abandon all the Canadian traditions and all the, and all those Canadian things that make this weird little league special. Nah, man. Like, that's not okay. Like, you, the Argos have been owned by Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment since what, 2017? You, like, you knew you were buying a, a product. <laughs> out of- did,
0: they, a- did they, it's the oldest franchise in the league. Did they think they were suddenly going to turn the ship around? Like, uh, pun intended. Yeah.
1: Right? yeah. Like, I just, I don't buy that. So I was just like, you don't get to buy this team. And then three years later, tell the rest of the league that they basically need to fold up and join the rock. And like, look, man, like people love the rock and movies. The idea that just cause the rock is associated with the XFL, it's going to make a ton of money. Like there's no proof of that. All we know is that spring football doesn't work in the States. That's all yeah. evidence we have. So I don't know. I mean, the, the, whole-
0: the, the greatest promoter in the history of sports entertainment, uh, has failed at it twice. So, uh, I don't know what, yeah, you know, exactly. the marketing, the marketing genius that the rock is, uh, I know he's uh, great at marketing himself, but I don't think he's ever marketed anybody else. So that it just seemed like uh, a very, it, it made me laugh. And then it and then it took off thanks to, you know, some people very excited to talk about, Oh, what the possibilities of XFL, CFL merger and all that kind of stuff. And the one thing that the CFL has that the XFL will never have, or is just a an a actual event the great cup is still a huge event and it's still the biggest thing it's the biggest canadian event on television every year like you're you're not going to give that up uh just to you know glad hand with another league so uh, it was well,
1: and anyone who says that this is would have been and like it's it's over and like i i'm you know I don't need to be fighting with the media people I was fighting with. Like, I'm not going to call it any names or do anything. No. That. Uh, we all you, know you
0: fight. You fight with people over Twitter and stuff like that. And I'm uh, a, I'm, a,
1: I'm a scrappy guy, and I you know, <laughs> I, um, but like, like what's important to remember is that like any merger for the CFL that involves getting involved with American business interests, you do lose something. There yeah. is no way to keep the Canadianness. If you join up with there are 10 times more Americans than there are, they have way more money than there is in Canada. Like the power, the balance of power was always going to lie in the States. So this idea that they were going to like carefully preserve the Canadian game. No, there was no No. way. The Canadian game ceases to exist when it is in financial partnership with a way more powerful American
0: partner. Right. And I don't, I don't believe the NFL will ever have a team in Canada, unlike the other major leagues. So, oh, you know who's tried? You know who's tried repeatedly? Larry Tannenbaum.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like Larry Ted Rogers. Larry Tannenbaum is the guy who runs Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. He has done an amazing job for sports in Toronto. He deserves to be, like, lionized in the city of Toronto. But, like, he was the guy who tried to partner with Bon Jovi. He was responsible for the Bills in Toronto series. This guy is interested in bringing an NFL team and views American football rightfully as the cash cow that it obviously is. So the idea that we're just trusting that this guy, who is obviously leading like the charge towards the XFL merger, this guy has some deeply held interest in Canadian football? No way! what
0: are we talking about? <laughs> yes. You know, he wasn't inter- interested in preserving the game. And he, he owns the o- oldest franchise in our North American pro sports. So it it just seemed like the, the oddest mixed and uh, uh, we're glad. I know you're glad it was. It all came crashing down and uh, you, you took a much deserved victory lap for the of calling it what it was at the time. It was
1: shorter so, than you probably expected. I was like very ready to just do like 24 hours of like just pure, just dancing on the graves of, of and I didn't. I said one good tweet.
0: <laughs> oh, that's all you needed. That's all good. All right, so we're uh, heading into actual games this week, and what we're gonna plan to do is uh, come to you after the week's games are done, um, kind of give our Uh, ideas of where things are going. Uh, We're going to, you know, I'm going to throw some things at you and we're, we're going to roll with it. But one thing right now, there's going to be three teams that missed the playoffs this year. Uh, Who are you voting as those teams? Because I think it's going to be two East teams again. And if it's two West teams, it's really hard to choose who those West teams are. We
1: disagree on the, on that. I believe that the Argos are going to, I believe Argos, Hamilton, and Montreal make the playoffs. I, think I haven't done
0: enough, I haven't done enough schedule breakdown to find out if it's even possible that the West can cross over because they probably don't play enough East teams. Like is, yeah, is I
1: mean, it? As always, though, it pretty much relies on a couple of East teams just losing every game, every game that right. they play against the West, right? Yeah. Um which has happened pretty much nonstop <laughs> It does lot. happen
0: quite a bit, yeah. Um
1: but yeah. no, yeah. I mean I've division. Yeah. Unless I'm like super wrong on the Argos quarterback situation, and I do think Nick Arbuckle is good enough to win some games. I, I think that the Argos are like the accumulation of talent there. And it's all like I, I think Ryan Dinwiddie's a smart guy. I think Pinball is a smart guy. Um, Murphy's a smart guy. Like, I, I do genuinely think that that's a, I don't know if it's well constructed, but there's enough talent there that it should win games. The only question is the O-line. So I think that there are three teams in the East that, that make the playoffs. I think Ottawa quite clearly misses. I um
0: well, I Ottawa agree. might lose against everybody. Is that what the prevailing feeling is?
1: Yeah, except that they beat like like they, they beat some teams at the gate last year. Like like they I don't know. I, I can't explain Ottawa to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um I do not understand why if you look at that roster and decide that instead of having Nick Arbuckle is your starting quarterback. You want to go with an older Matt Nichols? I just like it never made sense to me. It, this feels just like a, a throwaway, wasted year. Um, right. And it's been like building with a young quarterback, and, and they're not. So for me, like that was a that was a big mistake. But um, did, it, did it come
0: down to just they didn't want to pay the bonus? Is that I thought it was the bonus money over
1: the? Yeah, that's sort that of business. what it seems like. But like, cost of doing business, bud. Like, well, um, and
0: then you you signed the deal to begin with. You know you. You if you thought he was the guy last year and you were going to bring him in for twenty twenty, why didn't yeah, why was did you was
1: They were clearly floating out to the media stuff about him not being like Arbuckle. And look, I have an affection for Nick, so like I'm going to yeah. take his on, on this type of stuff. But like they were floating about him not being willing to take as big a percentage deduction in salary as some of the other starting quarterbacks. And it's like, well, he's not paid as much as Bo Levi Mitchell and and Mike Riley. Like he's he's got a young family. Like he yeah. he's. You know, 20% of $350,000 hurts a lot more than 20% of $700,000. So right. I, I didn't I, 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 didn't really understand what they were doing there, except they clearly had Paul Lapelis there, and he wanted to get Matt Nichols, right, as far as I can tell, and the bonus is part of it. But, like, I don't know. I don't cover the Red Locks, but, like, that was my interpretation from all of it. Um, but then you go out West. L. West is tough. I, I do think that B.C., it's, I think Rick Campbell's a really, really good playoff coach. I, I don't ultimately think that his regular season record suggests that he's just suddenly going to turn this team into a, you know. Yeah, he's
0: like, he's like a 500 regular season coach and then turns it on in the playoffs and gets the gets them over yeah. the hump, right? So
1: and I don't know how much of that, like I don't know if that's like the way that Ottawa is spending. I mean, there's always, it's always more complicated than just blaming a team's record on its coach and its quarterback, but um yeah. I just I think it'll take I think where Campbell's a good coach too. It's going to take him a year or two to get that team back into contention, especially in the West where you just have sort of like these finely tuned machines at this point. So I have like no matter what, I have Calgary and Saskatchewan making the playoffs. Um, so I have BC out. I have to pick a third team, and that's what I'm trying to.
0: <laughs> I know this is why I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, because that that's a tough one.
1: Uh, <laughs> I think that, look, it, it's hard for me not to go with Edmonton. So I guess I'm picking Winnipeg to miss. Right. Which is crazy okay. because they, I think they have the best O-line and best D-line. And I think that's actually what wins you football games. But I just <laughs> – and, like, I don't know that it matters who's your running back when you have an O-line, like, the way that they do. And I don't know if Andrew Harris being healthy actually matters all that much. Right. Um, when you have but no again, one – again,
0: if, if Sean McGuire is your starting quarterback in week two for the rest of the year – and that's so. why I
1: feel sort of safe making that call. Not that I think, not that I think or want, but I'm like the biggest risk that I think any team is taking in the West is Zach Larios as your starting quarterback. I think that his injury history is like is just presents a risk that a gamble that you're taking. And right. while we all want him to stay healthy, because Zach seems like a really genuinely good guy, and like it was so awesome seeing him win that great cup and becoming a hero in Winnipeg. Like, man, it's hard to have faith that he's going to be able to stay on the field.
0: Well, he completely salvaged his career with a month of getting super hot. Like he, It was quite the heat check. He just got hot for a complete month. And then suddenly it was like, all right, he's never lost a game. All right. Well, he's only played four.
1: He had a a throw against Calgary. Like, they were in Winnipeg for their second last game of the season. And it was like a fourth quarter. And, like – basically the O-line collapsed and like the, he had two defensive ends and rolled to the right and through. And it's like one of the nicest CFL quarterback throws I've ever seen, like off balance, right into the back of the end zone, right in the receiver's hands from like 35 yards out. And it was like, that's an NFL quarterback throw. Like that is not a 2021 CFL quarterback throw. You like, he got hot and was amazing. And the thing is, he's always kind of been amazing. Like,
0: I would say in the mid, yeah. If you go back to the 2014 Grey Cup, it was Bo versus Zach, and the that was the storyline the whole week. And uh, you know, Bo wins the game, and the you know the Ty Cats still complain it was the uh, phantom call for the touchdown for Banks. But like, truth be told, no, the Stamps won that game, and then one career went one way, and one went the other way. So it's. you, again, nobody's man, ever man, nobody's man, ever man, doubted man. Cole, Cole uh, uh talent level. It's just been a rocky road with him trying to be an 18 game starter. Now 14 games this year, still. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. You never wish bad health on anybody. Uh, I just you know until we can see him consistently play game after game after game, uh, I think you worry. So, uh, yeah. which is which is the question is they should have been the team that kept Mac Nichols but they obviously felt like you know, maybe they couldn't uh, financially do that or Matt didn't want to be the, you know, not the starter. Uh, I still feel it, it felt, it feels very reminiscent to me of when Drew Tate was to, took over as the starter in Calgary. And for two years, Kevin Glenn played 30, uh, had 30 starts over two seasons. So, you know, you, you want a Kevin Glenn right now, if you're going to pick blue bombers, wait is kevin glenn still playing is he anywhere no, I, he... I think somebody should probably give kevin glenn a call and i think it should be the winnipeg blue bombers <laughs> well, this is,
1: so i think that if you're winnipeg i think that there is a calculation that you're probably making that says are the Tie cats like what happens if in mid-season zach goes down and you call about dane evans because Masoli's is healthy what do you like if you're – there's a lot you're probably going to be willing to give up to get Dane Evans, and if he's not starting and Mazzoli is starting every game and healthy and all that. The other thing is, like, Arbuckle probably going to be the starter in Toronto. Can you call up and check on McLeod Bethel-Thompson? Like, I don't know that he wins you the Great Cup, but he's a competent starter. Right. Like there he,
0: he, he actually made that a competition in Toronto, so.
1: Yeah, like, there's one like – there's one or two guys who I think that, like, you probably could go get if you were completely stuck and you pay for half a season and you're okay. Like, Winnipeg's not going to be short on money in 2021. Like, they no. can – so, like, I, I guess that there's stuff like that where, like, maybe that's part of it. I'm not saying that that is their calculation, but, like, maybe that's their thinking is, like, you know, there's a couple competent backups right now that we might be able to overpay to get if something
0: bad happens to Zach. But uh, – yeah <laughs> exactly well i look at um i'm just looking at it because i've always thought the west is stronger than the east and i i think toronto might be a mirage so um and that's why i'm thinking ottawa and bc as well and that toronto is going to be my team that i think is gonna like a falter although and
1: I that. but you're doing that purely based on the history of putting together these super teams
0: yes and, well and Uh, yeah, I, and I don't like the whole we've signed everybody. Okay. That, that doesn't necessarily work. And, uh, I, I heard them being referred to this week as a juggernaut. Um, they haven't played a game together, so I don't know how you can say they're a juggernaut. The, the thing is it it, so, so recently, I feel like the same thing happened where a ex-Stampeders assistant coach goes to be a head coach. Uh, they bring in a new quarterback with a bunch of new players surround him and it turns into a tire fire that there was the 2019 BC Lions. So...
1: I mean, I hear that. I think I want to be careful how I say this.
0: (laughs) It's different this time?
1: (laughs) um, I I think that... A, I like a lot of Dan Weedy's actual hires. Like, I, I, I think that when I look at some of the assistant coach hires, guys who are, like, capable of being... Assistant coaches, but I think that like you want your you want to have one position coach who's never coached before in the CFL, and you know he gets to like learn from the other guys and kind of be mentored. Like you have Drew Tate and Nick Lewis as as coaches, both smart guys, clearly capable of being CFL coaches at some point, but like it, a little you, a
0: little wild in the spirit if, if you're trying to say it diplomatically. Yeah so
1: (laughs) yeah oh and I'm just trying like I just honestly like I I I think that Dinwiddie I don't worry about Dinwiddie putting in the work like I think Mm. we know he's capable and why I just think that like the whole is there a quarterback controversy it's like no like Dinwiddie was Nick Arbuckle's coach and said go get me Nick Arbuckle like Mm. he I I think he knows what he has and 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 believes in what he has so um I, I I believe in Toronto I honestly I I think that team right. Yeah, I think that team can push for for a second this year.
0: Okay. Well, I used to uh ride the C train into uh downtown area at four fifteen in the morning. Uh and as I was getting off to get off that the T V station I was working at, Ryan Dinwiddie would be getting on the train to go up to the McMahon Stadium at four AM. So uh nobody's questioning that he's uh He's a bit different professional than um, some of the other coaches around the league. And
1: I'm Uh, not trying to question. I know. I know. And I'm (laughs) I'm not
0: trying to track you either, but I understand what uh, the difference here is. So uh, three coaches seem to be changed every time the CFL plays a new season. Do you, have you noticed this
1: generally? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's, it's always weird to me. It's like, Okay, three teams hired a new coach, and then three teams hire a new coach every year. And it, and then you look back, and it's like, okay, the Dickin, like Dickinson's been now the head coach since uh, 2016 here, and he's going to be the head coach for long periods of time. So you took you take out a couple of teams that keep their coaches, and it the, that revolving door or the 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 what are, musical chairs seems to always happen. Uh, I would like to think that the nine head coaches that start this year are going to be in the same place next year. Uh, do you believe that to be the case?
1: So Dan Whitty, yes. I think you have to have him a couple of years. Paul, Paul LaPolice. I think that expectations are low enough in Ottawa that like, it would be hard yeah. for him to get fired. Yeah, you,
0: you, you're re- Rebuilding. Kari Jones was, took you to the playoffs two years ago. So
1: didn't just, didn't just take you to the playoffs, like sort of transform the culture of that team. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it is worth noting that, like, just in terms of, like, how they play, the attitude that they have, there can't be a more fun team to be a fan of, in terms of, like, not the culture surrounding the team, but, like, the team, than the Montreal Alouettes. Like, those guys are, like, I, when they came in, like, there were fist fights with Montreal or with the <laughs> Like They were just so tough. They were just literally, like, we're going to... Like, they were that classic, like, you're not going to intimidate us. We're going to walk in here. We're going to, like... We're gonna be the big bad, like, bruisers, and that like I love that they did that, and I, I think Kahari had a big part to do with that. So those, yeah, and I mean obviously is not going to go anywhere. Right. Uh, Mike O'Shea well, is like, Mike O'Shea. They're just gonna like rename the stadium after
0: him. Yeah, uh, I mean he broke the drought, and he he's like the the Canadian uh, the Canadian mafia champion. They they yeah. love him there. So
1: and like uh, I will argue that. I mean, certainly like I mean part of it is that Chris Jones was such a nightmare for the media to work with and Craig Dickinson's such a, such a good human being. But like the <laughs> universal approval rating of Craig Dickinson is as high as any coach in the league. Right. Uh, yeah. Obviously Dave is not going anywhere. Um, we'll see we'll see Alzondo up in uh up Edmonton. In
0: yeah. And we'll then uh, and then Rick Campbell obviously taking over BC I I like Rick Campbell as a coach. Yeah, there's but, a lot of
1: the places that you expect it would have to take a pretty epic collapse for some of those established coaches to be let go. And the other teams like are rebuilding and like you don't right. fire rebuilding
0: coaches. But things tend to happen, right Danny? We we always look at this stuff and it something could happen. Orlando Stonehire could be a positional coach in the NFL next year. You know you don't uh, you don't know That's, what the and that's the, what the cascade that can happen, right? So. Uh, well, and I mean, like
1: Chris Jones just, you know, spent seven years just quitting and moving on. It's right? like, <laughs> well, um, he,
0: caused, he caused a lot of the musical chairs by doing that. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. But like, and I mean, again, like you, you're right. I mean, I would have said Milanovic would have been one of those guys who was going to be around at Edmonton for a while. Obviously that didn't right. happen. So yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, I will say that I believe that. You, in response to your question directly, yes, I believe that all nine head coaches heading into day one of the 2021 season will also be the head coaches in 2022.
0: Yeah, because it's been a uh, very trying year and a half for everyone. 20 months since we last had a game, and it's been a lot of ups and downs since then. So uh, I think we should wrap it up in there. And then unless anything else you want to discuss as we head um, into week one?
1: You've said Mike Riley. What do you think the biggest, most egregious error was on the TSM top fifty? Uh,
0: that one I thought was. Um, if I pull that one back up, Michael. Sorry, uh, I should call him what he wants me to call him. Yes, uh, and I've I've done it a little bit too. But Michael, we apologize if you're listening. Um, Which he surely is. Yeah, there's always a lot of quarterbacks in the in the upper echelon there that I'm. I don't know if they should be like Trevor Harris at eight. I don't know just because he's the fourth best quarterback. Um, is he fourth or fifth? So um, the one thing about the list that I was uh, surprised about was the amount of ex-stampeders that were like still in the league, still uh, plugging away. Uh, Jaeger Davis at number 13. I That's not undeserving, but uh, oh, that's another, ex-, another ex ex. That's I was another Stampede. Say, man,
1: I was literally about to say that I think the biggest mistake is Ja'Garrett Davis not being in like five or six. I think he's the. I think he's the second. Willie is obviously the best defensive end in the league. Jagaire Davis, all he does is go
0: to great cuts. He's been to four straight. <laughs> That's uh, not by accident. And I think Vernon Adams Jr. is probably going to have something to say about being the uh, behind. Uh, Some of the other quarterbacks that are have more pedigree, but uh, um, it's it's an interesting it's always an interesting experience or experiment every year. Uh, It's certainly by no means uh, the gospel or the Lord. Did you participate in the uh, voting at all? I'll tell you
1: what happened. So so Mark Stephen got uh, like a week before the ballots were due. Mark Stephen was working hard on it. and I was like, oh, man, I really got to like start doing this. Two nights before, I settled in and did like an hour and a half of work and probably filled in 35 of the 50. Promptly forgot about it until an hour before it was due. And like, I wouldn't want to read my list completely publicly. I like agree with everyone who's on it. I had, we had 40 votes. I had Cody Fajardo, 40, and left Andrew Harris off my list. Okay. Um, Those were like the most egregious, like people
0: would be mad at me for. Um. But yeah, right. Is there an actual? So Nick Arbuckle will be the only starting quarterback, and uh, Matt Nick Arbuckle and Matt Nichols are the only starting quarterbacks who didn't make the list.
1: So. Yeah, In my top five where I had Bo one, Speedy two, Willie Jefferson three. So pretty close there, and then uh, I had Vernon Adams four, um, which is insane. And like I acknowledge it. Like when I, I file it, I don't. I
0: don't know if that's insane at, at all.
1: Like I, he seems to be and this all exists we're supposed to exist in a gray area where it's based on past performance and what we expect this year which is why i left andrew harris off because i honestly think that there's just going to be a regression at his age yeah and i think the injuries stuff will pile up um and then i had burn him at five um but i also like you know me i like to troll a little bit (laughs) and there were parts of there were parts of this completely private ballot that were definitely troll moves on my part.
0: Okay. <laughs> the, because you were obviously sharing it. So uh, I heard a little bit of uh, Darrell Walker is the best receiver in the league. Um, and he's only at 15. So he's behind a couple other guys. So Ryan Burnham the best receiver in the league. Like it's the Brian Burnham should be the top receiver.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, But, yeah, I think Darrell Walker should probably be higher than that. I think him and DeGarren should be higher than they are. But quarterbacks, people vote for. I just, like, I I want to be clear. Like, I think Trevor Harris is very good. I don't think he's, like, he's not in – I have my top tier is Bo. And then my second tier is probably Vernon Adams. And honestly, I have Mike Riley higher than you. Okay. And those two. And then sort of my – Third tier is the Fajardo's Trevor Harris. I don't necessarily think you need an awfully good defense to win a great cup with Trevor Harris as your Yeah,
0: and just the way that Riley has regressed over the last couple of years, where the part of his game that he used to be able to—he would just run downfield and run people over—that uh, that isn't there anymore, and for good reason. He's getting up there in years, and he wants to preserve uh, himself and keep playing. But was, uh, that was the dimension of his game that was more. Uh, that gave him more dynamic.
1: I will say, like, I only a couple times, you know, I've covered Bo now for three and a half seasons. There have only been a couple times where it's like, okay, I don't want to say training wheels. That's the wrong thing. But, like, the stamps are down, and Dave is just like, Bo, I need you to be the gunslinger. Like, go get us back in this game. And Bo is doing the whole roll out of the pocket, throw the ball 40 yards, like, do that. And – Riley's had more of an opportunity to do that. So that's why people view Riley in that way, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. The Stamps are normally ahead. The Stamps play conservatively.
0: Right. And they don't have to (laughs) – it's much different playing from behind. That's why I always thought Riley was a – because he he puts up numbers and, uh, you know, Bo doesn't have – he's only got – Bo's got two 5,000-yard seasons. Um, It's certainly not – he's not putting up Flutie-esque numbers, but – Again, we go back to championships matter the most. And uh, he's got in, two already and could be – he's going to get a third, I believe, before he leaves Calgary. In
1: 2016, Mitchell leaves. It's basically me and Fisher, which, like, is a hilarious combo. Um, and I was just, like, trying to figure out how the hell to cover football, really. Like, I, I had no time to warm up. I hadn't had any time any research. And I wrote a couple stories on how the Stampeders, like, were not that good a second-half team. Like they just like, <laughs> and finally, like, dick was like, Well, man, like, we're not,
0: we don't put up points because we're winning, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's the old adage of like, Ah, oh, it wasn't really anything big happening at the end of the game. Well, you're up by enough to win the game, so you don't like put your boots to the throat of the other team, you got to play them in two weeks. It's the CFL, so anyway. All right. Uh, Argos stamps this week. We got some good games. Tie Cats versus Bombers. Uh, what else on this slate? I got first, like half
1: of the Bombers. Like, yeah. <laughs> like the other half's in there.
0: <laughs> okay, so you're you're thinking that's a Tie Cats win. Uh, Saskatchewan at home to BC. Um, Fajardo will put up 330 yards, I'm sure. You take uh, right. Toronto and Calgary and then Ottawa versus Edmonton, so um, Edmonton. I think Toronto
1: Calgary is a more interesting game than people are going to realize. Um, Oh,
0: it's very interesting to me. So, yeah, Uh,
1: I just, I I honestly just, I think that uh, if there's one area that you can't really question, it's like the Argos are going to be able to rush the passer. Like they have serious defensive ends. And like if, when they blitz, like their linebackers are going to joke, like they, like they, they're like pretty good. Um, And the stamps Like, Julian Good-Jones is starting at right tackle, and, like, I didn't know his name five days ago. (laughs)
0: Well, well, I didn't know his name until now, so uh, you beat me on that one. But uh, the one thing I know about the Stamps is despite the fact that – because you can always go and get American offensive lineman. I'm assuming he's American, so.
1: Oh, and, like, yeah, and he beat out Leon Johnson, who they were high on. And, like, it it doesn't sound like it's a position of weakness for them at all. Um, But it's just, again – I can't do my job without being like, you got to show me. Right. You know, every (laughs) team in the league says their outline's great. I believe that the stands have a potential to be great, but show me.
0: Exactly. All right, Danny, have a good uh, week. We will, we're going to catch up back on Sunday and uh, we'll break it all down again and uh, see where we are after week one. Um, It's going to be so surreal to have football back with fans in the stands. Um, What a time to be alive, man right we survived we made it exactly and and here we are doing a podcast in 2021 who would have thought it right so man life is good thanks buddy Uh, okay